I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 57, verses 9 through 11. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how majestic, how exalted is your name. You are all sovereign, all powerful, all glorious. Father, we pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would be high and lifted up as King of kings and Lord of lords. In the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd enable us to give you all praise, all glory, all honor, now and forevermore. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I invite you to sing with me number 380, Crown Him with Many Crowns, 380. Oh. 
confession and repentance, we will be looking at John chapter 15. I'll first be reading John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11, then leading us in a prayer of confession, then pronouncing the pardon, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life found only in Jesus Christ. John 15, starting at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing grace, your mercy, your love. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are. That while we were yet sinners, at enmity, strife, rebellion toward you, that you would send your only begotten Son to take on flesh, to bear the cross, to be crucified, to be forsaken by you, to be the sin-bearer, the wrath satisfier, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that we who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, having been given the gifts of repentance and faith, may have eternal life, forgiveness, and your love. Well, Father, again, we come before you. We humble ourselves before you. Father, we... We confess that we have not loved as we ought to. That our joy has not been fixed at all times in you. So, Father, again, we take this time to confess those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week. We confess these to you now in our hearts and in our minds. 
John 15, starting at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Know this, that if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if he alone is your righteousness, your holiness, your justification before God, know this, you have been forgiven. You have been adopted. You are dearly loved by your heavenly Father. You belong to Jesus Christ. In Christ's glorious name, amen. As we continue in our confession of faith, we continue working our way through the fifth main point of doctrine of the Canons of Dort. This morning, I invite you to read with me Article 6, God's Saving Intervention. God's Saving Intervention. For God, who is rich in mercy, according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not take his Holy Spirit from his own completely, even when they fall grievously. Neither does he let them fall down so far that they forfeit the grace of adoption and the state of justification or commit the sin which leads to death, the sin against the Holy Spirit, and plunge themselves entirely forsaken by him into eternal ruin. This is the great and glorious hope we have of the perseverance of the saints, is our security, our hope, is fixed in God's promises. And God has promised that those who belong to his son have a good shepherd and no one and nothing can snatch them from the shepherd's hands. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are. You are holy, holy, holy. You are love. You are just you are jealous. You display your wrath. Oh, Father, you are all sovereign, all powerful and all knowing. You alone, O oh Lord. Oh, Father, we pray that you would remind us what it means that you are creator, that you are redeemer, that you are the sanctifier, and that your son, Jesus Christ, will return in his glory. Oh, Father, we pray that you would fix our hearts and our minds on things above, on your Son, Jesus Christ, that our greatest longing would be his glorious return to be with you forever and ever and ever. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us, remind us that our life is Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'd strengthen us, that you'd continue to lessen the hold of our 
of this fallen rule. Help us, O Lord, to put to death our old fallen flesh daily. Father, please remind us of the victory that has been won for us by your Son, Jesus Christ, over the devil, over the powers and principalities of this fallen world. Father, we pray that you would remind us that you have saved us by your grace alone, through faith alone, in your Son, Jesus Christ alone, that you would receive all glory. Father, we pray that you would remind us that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and that you are growing us up in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, in the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, we pray for all the marriages represented here. Oh, Lord, that these marriages would display Christ and his church. Oh, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us for husbands to so love their wives in a self-sacrificing, dying way that their wives would be without spot and blemish. Father, we pray that the wives would, would so respect and honor, submit to their husbands, lifting them up. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the truth of Christ and the church and what it is to be a part of his body. Oh, Father, we pray for for all the families, for all the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Oh, Lord, that they would know you, that they would love you, that they would serve you with their lives. Oh, Father, we cry out, that you'd give them the gifts of repentance and faith. Father, we pray for the lost, whether it be family members or friends, co-workers, people you bring into our lives throughout our daily lives. Oh, Father. Father, we pray that you'd use us as ministers of reconciliation. Help us, O Lord, to lift up the gospel. Father, we pray that you would do what only you can do, bring them from death to life. So, Father, we lift them up. Guide us, O Lord. We pray for wisdom and understanding. Help us, O Lord, to trust your gospel as the power of salvation, to trust the authority of your word, to just lift up your gospel, lift up your word. We pray, O Lord, that you would strengthen us and guide us in these things. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, facing persecution, opposition, torture, and death. As we worship here so freely, Father, we pray for the underground church in China, North Korea. Father, we pray for Christians in hiding in Saudi Arabia, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ facing brutal regimes, Islamic extremists, the persecution of the local villagers or authorities. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd fix their eyes on your son, Jesus Christ. 
Help them to know your peace, your strength, your comfort. Father, we pray that you would remind them that their lives are Christ and that to die is gain. Oh, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would give us boldness with the freedoms and opportunities that we have. Father, we pray that you would help us to be bold with the gospel. Father, we do pray for Reverend Mihai Korase. Father, we pray that you continue to strengthen him, be with him, be with the church there, as you continue to grow the elders, to seek and serve you. Father, we pray that you would help them to reach out to the lost, to shine the light of your son, Jesus Christ, throughout Romania to the ends of the earth. Father, we pray that you continue to strengthen them. Well, Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance. Father, we do pray for our president and his administration. We pray for our governor, local county commissioners and leaders. Oh, Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray for understanding. We pray for peace so that your gospel can continue to go forward. Oh, Father, we pray that your light would shine in the darkness. Father, we pray that you'd remind us that it is the gospel that is our hope and our strength, our life, our everything. So, Father, we pray that you would help the church to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. Father, we pray that you would keep us from compromise, from deception. Father, we pray that you'd remind us that we are in the world, but not of the world, and that you have called us out. Father, we do continue to pray. Continue to pray for Ruth's mother. We pray that you would strengthen her, be her peace and comfort as she continues in her treatments. Father, we pray for her. We pray for her husband. Oh, Lord, that, that he would know your comfort, your peace. Father, we pray that you would continue to be with Marcia. Father, as her memory continues to fade, Father, we thank you that you hold her in your righteous right hand. What a blessing is your faithfulness, how you hold us. Father, we do continue to lift up to you. Those who are in a time of suffering, a time of struggle, a time of pain. Father, we pray that you would be their peace, their comfort, their strength, and their hope. Father, we do pray for Deborah. Oh, Lord that she would know your healing, know your comfort, know your strength. Father, we lift her up to you. Father, we thank you. And it is because of your grace and mercy and love that we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I'd like to invite you to please rise for our passage of Scripture. 
We are continuing through 1 Thessalonians this morning. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. I invite you to read this along with me. 1 Thessalonians 3, starting at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life, living and active. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Apart from your word, we would have darkness and death. So, Father, we pray that you continue to lead us and guide us in the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of your word Your word is all authoritative, all sufficient, inerrant and infallible. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow our hunger and desire for your word. For it is only in your word, in the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, that we are set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite any children who would like to, to come forward for the children's message at this time. Well, good morning. What are some ways that you can tell that someone cares for you or that they love you. What are some ways you could tell that? Yeah. They give you gifts. They give you gifts. Very good. How about you, Kate? Yeah. How how do you know? What she said? Yeah, you agree. Yeah, they give you gifts, things like that. That's great. So they care for you. They do nice things. They say good things. They give you gifts. That's, That's how you can know that. You know one of the best ways you can know if someone loves you? Is they forgive you. That they forgive you. That they care enough 
to forgive you. So when we look through our text, we're going to see these two words, faith and love, faith and love. And they keep being mentioned by Paul again and again and again, that if there's true faith, there will be love, love for God and love for one another. So this begins what we're going to be looking at over these next sermons, Lord willing, that's that focus of what it is. True faith has the fruit of true love. So I want you to be thinking about that, not only this Sunday, but as we go through the rest of this chapter. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross so that those who would believe in him would have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Father, we pray that you would help us to love you, knowing your love for us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You guys had your seats. If you look down to the, starting at verse 11 of our passage, I want to look at the end first, and briefly, then we'll go back to the top and look at these key points here. We see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, there's, there's a theme introduced that's going to be carried on through this entire chapter. So this is... We're looking at tomorrow as a two-part on this theme of true faith and true love. This will be a two-part sermon on these themes. So again, 1 Thessalonians 3, starting at verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus... Direct our way to you. Remember, they had to be rushed. They had to flee from Thessalonica because of the hatred, persecution, threats of imprisonment and death by the mob, by the riots, sponsored by the Jews, getting the uh, people of power and governing authorities to hate Paul and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you see this. So they had to flee. They had to run. And they even had to run from the next city as the mob continued to pursue them. That's, that's, so you see this longing. Again, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that, so here we see this powerful reality of the necessity of the love of Christ, of the love of God abounding within believers for one another. This is one of these key one another. Remember in the church, we're called to love one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, lift up the interests and needs of the other over ourselves. There's all these one another verses. And that should 
makes sense because if you are a member of the church, you're a member of the body of Christ, with Jesus Christ as the head. So that's the key theme of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You can't say you love Christ if you do not love his body, which are the other people of God, indwelt by the Spirit, saved by God's grace and mercy. You can't say you love God if you do not love one another. You lie. You've deceived yourself. Your religion is worthless, as James will take it to that point. So here's this vital reality of faith and love being so intertwined, so vitally connected that you do not have one without the other. That's what the Apostle Paul is establishing here in 1 Thessalonians 3, and he does this in nearly every letter he writes. He takes those two words and so weaves them together that you cannot separate them and have true saving faith. This is the reality of what Paul does. We're going to see it here, and we're going to look at many parallel passages where he, where he does this very same thing. So it's so crucial for us and for the church in Thessalonica. Again, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Why is that of such vital importance? Verse 13, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Established hearts. Hearts that are rooted and grounded and on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the love of God. So that you, he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. With all his saints. So we see this is introduced here in verses 6 through 13. But if you continue on into chapter 4, so if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to see where this theme continues. What 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 does, it gives you concrete ways that one either shows love or is lacking in true love for one another. That's what chapter 4 does. It takes that principle of what we're finding in chapter 3 and applies it to many different, many different areas. If you go down to verse 9 of chapter 4, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. To love each other. That they have been taught by God to do that. So you see, the scripture does not permit one to think, well, I have faith and I love God, but I can't stand these people in the church. Or I have faith and I love God, but I, I just don't love the people of God. Scripture does not allow that. That is actually an impossibility for someone who's truly saved. 
So this is a massive examine yourself section of scripture. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He is so integrating true love with faith that apart from that love of one another, the love of God to one another, (laughs) where's the faith? Is that true faith? That's what the Apostle Paul is going to be establishing as we continue on through here. So let's go back up to verse 6 as we walk, because we want to look at how he weaves faith and love together. He does it here, and he does it in nearly every one of his passages. So again, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Remember, they had sent Timothy because they had to flee for their lives, and they wanted to know how the church in Thessalonica was growing in faith, growing in love, growing in hope, living for God. And they, they so loved, they so cared for, they so longed to know how they were doing that it hurt. They were hurting, they were grieving, they, they were suffering with this separation. That's how connected, that's how much they loved them. So verse 6 But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news of your faith and love. Those are the two key realities. The good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. What the Apostle Paul is establishing here is this vital reality that your brothers and sisters in Christ are closer to you than anyone else, than any other connection, any other bloodline, any other relationship, anything. It's the people of God is your most close, intimate, connected family. You are a part of the household of God, the family of God. So that is where you're uttermost interest, desire, and concerns are. That's what he's modeling for us. That's what he's establishing for us, this vital reality. So verse, so you see that longing, that desire, that hope. He's already established this earlier. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, this is how the letter begins. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers and remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love. Work of faith and labor of love. Now we understand that before we have been justified, before we have been reconciled, before we are saved... We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We, we, we can do nothing good. We have no work of faith. We have no labor of love. We are completely dead. So what the Apostle Paul is describing here is those who have been set free, justified through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as the penalty for their sins, satisfying God's wrath so that they are reconciled So once you have been born again, saved by Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it's how Ephesians 2, verse 8 goes. 
You've been saved for the works God has prepared for you from before creation. So that's what we see here. This work of faith and labor of love, not to save you, but the fruit of being saved out of your gratitude and thanksgiving that God has done it all. Christ has done it all. That it is in the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of repentance faith has done it all. So what is our response? Work of faith, labor of love. That's the fruit. That's the new life. That's the transformation that takes place. Again, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. That is a transformed life. That is a life of one being transformed, being sanctified. As we continue to grow up in the likeness of Christ through God's word and the work of the spirit within our transformed hearts and minds. This is how he begins 2 Thessalonians. If you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3, it's the same crucial beginning. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. There it is. For the Apostle Paul, they're almost always linked. First comes faith and then comes love. And they are interconnected in the transformed life of a true believer. This is the theme of Paul again and again and again. You see this in Colossians. If you turn to Colossians chapter 1, see where he's going to link these. And as we start going through here, we're going to see some, some important things being added in, added in to understand how faith and love are so crucially connected for the one who is in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, starting at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. All the saints. Whether you like them or not, it doesn't matter. You love them. You're willing to give your life for them. You consider their interests, their needs, along with and above your own. This is this reality. This is a sacrificial love. This is what it is to be a part of the body of Christ, the people of Christ. Again, Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope, see, faith, hope, and love, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. One of the most crucial areas where you see this linking of faith and love for the Apostle Paul is in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this helps us begin to understand why the Apostle Paul is introducing this this interwovenness of faith and love in chapter 3 of his letter to the church in Thessalonica. Remember, the church in Thessalonica was experiencing tremendous persecution and opposition, tremendous suffering for Christ, in the name of Christ, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Paul wants them to be established. He wants them to stand firm. He wants them to keep growing, growing in faith, growing in love, and growing in hope. Faith, love, and hope. This is the reality. So so 1 Timothy chapter 1, here again, this is what he leads with in all these letters. Faith and love, faith and love, because this is of the utmost importance for the church. So 1 Timothy 1, starting at verse 3, you have this contrast here. And this contrast is with these churches, whether it's the church that Timothy is is the predominant teacher and preacher in at this time, or whether it's all the churches, what is one of the main dangers in the church? One of the main deceptions and dangers for the visible church is to tell people to focus them on faith and good works or faith and the things of this world, or faith and faith in anything but true life-giving love. That's what the devil wants to bring a deception. That's where the fallen world wants to short-circuit that reality. So everything is in opposition of this world and of the flesh and of the devil against true, sincere faith in Christ with a true life-giving love for one another. And that's what Paul is fighting against, that falsehood and pointing to the truth. So 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, this is a crucial passage where he contrasts deceptions against true faith and love. It's 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia... Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Uh Uh-oh. So here we go. (laughs) This is the main trouble within the visible church. You get false preachers, false teachers, false apostles, false prophets. These people that come in and want to teach different doctrines than what the apostles have established for us in God's word. They want to corrupt the gospel. They want to corrupt the word of God. And Paul is saying, charge them. That's command them. That's to lay down the reality that if you teach different doctrines, you're out of here. This is zero tolerance for misleading the sheep and taking them a different path than the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Again, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to. Okay, see, this is the problem. These false teachers come in and they speak of faith in Christ, but it's always faith and works. It's always Christ and you. And how they do that? They try to get your devotion off of the love of God and you displaying that love for one another to something else, to something of this world, to something that pleases your flesh or something that you could boast in or something that you can look to your own strength and not to Christ alone. That's, that's the deception. So that's what's going on here. Verse, verse four, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So there he's contrasting those things with true faith. Verse five, the aim of our charge. So what's the aim of this charge, this command to hold to true doctrine, to hold to the one true gospel of Jesus Christ crucified The aim of our command. So what is all this focused on? The aim of our command is love that issues from a pure heart. There it is. True, sincere love from a pure heart. A true heart. Remember, that was Isaiah's main indictment against the people of Jerusalem and Judea during his time. They claimed that they loved God, but it was nothing but words. It was not from a pure heart. It was not from a sincere heart. They didn't really love God. They loved their idols. They loved their immorality. They loved their pride and their presumption. They loved the things of this earth. They did not love God. That was Isaiah's main message. And if they do not love God, he brings his judgment against them. You can't presume on God's love and hate him at the same time. It doesn't work. That's that's Isaiah. It's the entire letter of Isaiah. That's why God sends his son, whom he perfectly loves, who perfectly loves him at all times, so that those who are saved come into his love. His love for the Father, the Father's love for the Son, and those who belong to the Son. We love because God first loves us. But you want to go even further back than that. God loves us because he first and foremost eternally loves the Son. And the Son loves us because He first and foremost eternally loves the Father. And that love between the Father and Son, we are brought into by God's grace and mercy. It's it's amazing. It's, It's beyond comprehension. An eternal, perfect love that we are those sinners. Though we hated God, Because of Christ's crucifixion, 
we who are in Christ, who belong to Christ, who have been given the gifts of repentance faith, are brought into that relationship of love. That's what Jesus prays for in John 17. That as the Father loves the Son, as the Son loves the Father, that we would be united in love. That's what he prayed in John 17. It's that same theme, that same reality. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in letter after letter, letter after letter, taking faith, true, sincere faith, and showing the first and foremost fruit of a true, sincere faith and a true love of God is love for one another is love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. A greater, more abiding love than with any unbeliever. And the unbeliever, it could be blood relation, it could be neighbor, your closest co-worker, your closest friend, but the relationship you have with the household of God, the people of God, is closer, more united, of more vital reality than everything else. That is the source of your greatest joy, your greatest pain, your greatest burden are your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul models for us, and that's what he's teaching within the church of God. Because the apostle Paul knows that unless the church loves one another in such a way, how else are we going to correct, rebuke, exhort, encourage, and build each other up in patience. Where there is no love, there is no patience. Where there is no love, there is no forgiveness. Where there is no love, there is no care. And the church cannot function and survive in that state. So that's why the Apostle Paul keeps taking these two words, faith and love, letter after letter after letter, and weaving them together in such a vital, important way. Again, 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. What is the aim? The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. There it is. What kind of faith produces a pure heart love for God and for one another, a sincere faith, a sincere faith. Again, that's what John does in first and second, third John. Those three letters, what is the main dominant theme is this. If you have sincere faith, if you are a child of God, if you have been born again, if you have been saved, if you have been justified, if you have been reconciled, if you've been redeemed, you'll love one another. First, second, third. That's the whole theme and focus of those letters because that's what Christ saves people for. That's how the Holy Spirit transforms people into the likeness of God. So that's what we see again, again, again. Again, 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Verse 6, certain persons, by swerving from these. Why would anyone want to swerve 
from sincere faith, good conscience, and a pure heart. To swerve, that's a good translation of it. It's you're driving down the road and an animal runs out in the road and you swerve. It's, it's, or back in the Greek, you're riding your chariot <laughs> and an animal runs in the roadway and you swerve. You, I mean, it's, you swerve. You, all of a sudden you see something and you avoid it. Well, I understand why you'd avoid hitting dog or hitting the bison in Yellowstone or hitting the elk or hitting... Yeah, it could do a lot of damage. I understand why you avoid that. But why would anyone swerve from sincere faith, good conscience, and a pure heart? Why would anyone swerve from true faith that produces true love for one another. Because both that sincere faith and that true love means a lot of dying. Not of Christ. He died once. One sacrifice. One sacrifice. No, the dying that is involved in this is our daily putting to death. Putting to death what? Our old flesh. This type of faith and this type of love, all in the power of Christ, all through the work of the Holy Spirit, this is the work of God, involves us daily putting to death our old flesh. So you can see why someone swerved from that. The reason they swerved from that is they don't really want to put that flesh to death. They, they don't really want to die to this world. They, they, they kind of like their earthly life. And they kind of like the desires of their fallen flesh. So they're, not, they're going to swerve from these true things and put substitutes. They're going to replace this true relationship of God with religion, with ceremony, with earthly regulations and rules, with laws, where you can still appear to be a person of faith, but you don't have to really have true, sincere faith. You don't have to really love anyone. That's what Paul is warning Timothy about. And that's why letter after letter, where it's 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, Colossians 1, 1 Timothy 1. Now I'll turn to Philippians 1. It's the same reality he begins nearly all his letters. Weaving together true faith and true love. Philippians 1. Starting at verse 4. Here it is the church in Philippi. The same vital reality. Philippians 1 verse 4. I thank my God always. When I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love. And of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. There it is. I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. You see how that, those two things are just, just interconnected and woven together that you can't separate. That's what Paul's doing here. Verse 6, I pray that the sharing of your faith 
may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What the Apostle Paul is showing that he himself, he's an apostle. The Apostle Paul, how he continues on, how he is refreshed, how he has joy, how he has thanksgiving, how he continues to persevere, no matter what the pain, no matter what the suffering, no matter what the persecution, no matter what the opposition, no matter what the hatred by the world, how does he keep going? It isn't just the growing faith and love that God has for him. It's also the love of his brothers and sisters in Christ. That refreshes him. That strengthens him. That enables him to continue with the mission that God has gave him. Scripture doesn't allow any rugged individualistic concept of one's relationship with God, where if I just have faith and I just just love God, then I have I don't need anything else. Remember what the church is. It is the body of Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're a member of the body. It's it's the love of Christ displayed within his body for one another. Is what the Apostle Paul is displaying for us is one of the most vital key ways that God keeps us and grows us and draws us ever closer to him. Again, 1 Thessalonians 3. Verse 7, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, and remember this is Paul, shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, imprisoned, shackled, mocked, spat upon, nearly starving to death, nearly freezing to death, nearly overcoming with heat exhaustion throughout. I mean, he describes, he lists out suffering that is beyond our comprehension. It's beyond my comprehension. And this to him is how God keeps him going. Here it is, verse seven. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. It was so vitally important for Paul to see this church, to see his brothers, sisters in Christ grow in faith, that that not only was his greatest burden, but his greatest joy. See, to love one another in the church is to, is to so care for that when you see one another 
stumble and fall into sin, it grieves you and you and you weep and you come alongside, but also to see one another grow in faith and grow to, oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It, it's such joy. It's such comfort. But to, to know that is to know one another, to actually be that involved in one another's lives where, where you're that connected. That's That's what we see displayed for us here. The end of verse 7, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. What a statement that is. We live if you're still standing firm. Otherwise, it would kill me. That's literally what he's saying. That burden, that desire is so much. For now we live if, it's a conditional statement, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly nine day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. We are saved by faith alone. And it is a growing faith. You notice that? It better be. We're supposed to be growing in faith until the day Christ returns. I mean, this is, the, this is our sanctification process, is growing in faith. Why do we need to grow in faith? Well, we need to grow in faith because we continually face temptation to sin, difficulty, tribulation, all these things. As we grow in faith, growing in faith means all the more, no matter what the circumstance, our eyes remain fixed on Christ. Our hope remains in Christ. We know that our love is from God and our love remains firm for one another. To grow in faith means less and less shakes that, causes to stumble. Cause us to turn away. And that's what we see being brought to us together here. There is a parallel passage to this, this reality, and it's by Peter. I just want to close with 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. This is Peter's way of saying the same thing. Peter has a A statement here, and what Peter is going to do in chapter 1 of 2 Peter is, again, he's going to take true, sincere, saving faith and show that love for one another, brotherly affection, comes from true, sincere, saving faith. That's what he's going to show us how that works. That's what Paul keeps doing. Peter is very helpful because he adds the other links in the chain between faith and love. It's very helpful. So so 2 Peter 1, starting at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, 
in steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. And that brotherly affection, that's speaking of with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's, that's what it, where his focus is. And brotherly affection with love. You can only love those who you know, who you care for, whose lives are interwoven as you have your eyes fixed on Christ to walk side by side, strive side by side, correct, rebuke, exhort with all patience and love, encouraging, forgiving. That's the only way this works. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is doing in letter after letter after letter. And that's, Lord willing, what we're going to see, what he does with connecting faith and love as we continue in chapter 3 and chapter 4. It's, it's, so, that, it's so that this is true, that we would be kept from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important, the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because if you know the truth, you'll be set free. The less we know, the less we live, the less we understand the truth and knowledge of Christ, the more we continue to find ourselves stumbling, tripping, and hindered by things that we continue to hold on to that are not the freedom of Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. How amazing is your love for us. That while we were yet sinners, you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die to pay the full penalty of sins, to satisfy your holy just wrath on, be, on behalf of all those whom you would love, whom you would call, whom you would elect and predestine in your foreknowledge, your love from before. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow us in this love Help us, O Lord, remind us of Philippians 2, that if your son was so willing to face such humiliation, opposition, to be forsaken because of his love for us, how much more should we love one another? Father, we pray that you would grow us in this truth and in the faith, in hope, and in love. In Christ's glorious name, amen.
this time we have the opportunity to take of the Lord's Supper, to take of communion. This is for the people of God. Those who have expressed their faith and repentance. Those who are in Jesus Christ. This is the, this is the taking in faith of the body and blood of Christ for those who are saved. For those who belong to Jesus Christ. And for them alone. This is a meal for the people of God, the household of God, for the church. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's We ask that when you are ushered forward, that you come up and take of the elements, bring them back to your chair, so that we can all, as one body, one family, Take the elements together.
Take, eat, remember and believe the body of Christ crucified for all of God's children. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, our eternal High Priest, the one crucified, risen, ascended, interceding on our behalf and returning again. Father, we pray that you would grow us, that we abide in your Son, Jesus Christ, part of his life. In Christ's glory, say, Amen. Take, drink, and remember and believe the blood of Christ that washes us clean of every sin. Oh, Father, we thank you that though our sins were like scarlet, you have made them as white as snow. Oh, Father, how glorious, how wonderful is the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, to make us clean and right with you. In Christ's glorious name, amen. I invite you to please rise and sing with me number 542, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus.
Let's receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the glory of Patria.